Spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're there in um, the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter number 24. And, of course, we've been going through a series through the book of Numbers, chapter by chapter, through the book of Numbers. And uh, we call it, we've been calling it the wilderness wanderings. We've been wandering with the children of Israel through the uh, wilderness. And we've been looking at these stories of the children of Israel through the wilderness. And, of course, we've been studying the book of Numbers together. But uh, in the book of Numbers, we've been in this section uh, dealing with this man, Balaam. And this is actually now, I believe, the fourth sermon on Balaam. And we've been looking at Balaam in the Bible. If you remember, Sunday last week on both Sunday morning and Sunday night, we were in Numbers 23. This morning, we were in Numbers 24. Tonight, we're in Numbers 25. And we've been looking at Balaam. And Balaam is an interesting and sometimes confusing and even controversial character in the Bible. And I don't, I don't have time to go through and develop everything we've looked at about Balaam, but I just do want, do want to remind you that the Bible is clear about the fact that Balaam is a false prophet, and he is a reprobate, and he is a bad guy. Um, yet the mystery that people often have with Balaam is that in this story of Balaam, he speaks the Word of God. And we saw this morning two of the four oracles. He spoke the Word of God in chapter 23, and in chapter 24, we're going to see again the oracles that he speaks uh, regarding the people of God. And I've actually entitled the sermon tonight, The Curious Case of the Prophet Balaam. And the reason that I entitled it The Curious Case of the Prophet Balaam, I wanted to give the sermon title kind of a Sherlock Holmes feel because it really is a mystery that we're going to investigate tonight because people often are confused about Balaam. And I've been telling, I told you last week and I told you this morning that tonight I'm going to explain what I believe is going on in the story regarding God and his relationship with Balaam, why it is that God speaks to Balaam, why it is that God speaks through Balaam. And we're going to focus on that tonight. And tonight is going to be, uh, we're going to look at a lot of passages. And I often tell young preachers, you know, be careful about just uh, having too much in one sermon. And I'm going to break my own rule. And I'm going to just tell you right up front, I'm, we're going to have a lot to look at tonight. And the only reason for that is because there's only, it's the only way to do it. The only way to cover all of it is just to do it all. So we're going to do it. I'm going to assume you know who Balaam is. We've already spent several weeks talking about Balaam, a lot of application and learning about Balaam. And I'm, we're just going to talk about this specific issue regarding Balaam and why it is that God speaks to Balaam and God speaks through Balaam. And I do have some application and uh, that we'll get to at the end of the service. I'm hoping we can get to it at the end of the sermon tonight. If not, then we'll have to wait uh, for next week. But just pray and we'll see how that goes. But let's just dig into this thing regarding Balaam, the curious case of the prophet Balaam. And like this morning, I'm going to give this to you under two different headings. We might not even get to the second heading, but let me give you the first heading. And if you're taking notes, and I do encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some things. And I want to begin with this idea of explaining Balaam's confusing communication. Balaam's confusing communication. When it comes to the preaching of Balaam, the oracles of Balaam, the prophecy of Balaam, uh, let me just give you two words to kind of help us understand this. One word is control, and the other word is enlightenment. 
control and enlightenment. And I'll go ahead and just tell you up front what I believe about this, and then I'll spend uh, the sermon proving it to you from the Bible, and maybe you'll disagree with me, and that's okay. Uh, that's why you have the Holy Spirit and you have a Bible and you can study the Bible on your own, of course. But let me just tell you what I believe is going on here. And what I believe is going on is that Balaam is not in control. Balaam is not in control here. Now, usually when we look at Balaam, and I think what people often assume about Balaam is that he wants to do wrong. He wants to be given uh, over to covetousness and greed. He wants to get paid to curse the people of God. But because he's afraid that God is going to kill him, then he just buttons up and says the right thing. I don't believe that's the case, and the reason for that, I'm going to show it to you from the Bible, but just to give you one example, is that the things that Balaam prophesies are inspired by God. They are given through the Holy Spirit of God. So they're not just him minding his P's and Q's, he's actually speaking through the Holy Ghost. Now let me just show this to you, and, and I wanted to save this for chapter 24 because I think the way that chapter 24 begins to me, it's, it's so interesting, and I think... If you look at it, you uh, might maybe may have not, not noticed this in the past, but I think it might uh, make sense to you. Look at verse number one, Numbers 24 and verse one. The Bible says this, And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. Now keep in mind, Balaam already got offered the money to curse the children of Israel. He already decided to disobey God. He gets on his donkey and goes down the road. The angel Lord already met him and we had that whole big adventure. The donkey spoke and God talked to him and all those things and, and he almost got killed as a result of that. Then he gets to Balak. We saw that this morning and he begins to prophesy. He begins to try to curse the people of God and it doesn't work. They decide to go somewhere else, to do it from another location, to look at the people from a different angle and it still doesn't work. They've been doing this now several times. They've been sacrificing animals. They've been making these things. And the Bible tells us here in Numbers 24 and verse 1 that Balaam finally comes to the conclusion that God is not going to curse the children of Israel. It says there in verse 1, And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, notice what the Bible says, He went not as at other times, to seek for enchantments. Now, we talked about that this morning, that he was actually using enchantments to try to manipulate God. He was using magic and the occult to try to manipulate God. But I want you to notice the emphasis in this verse, and the emphasis is this, that this time he went not. This time he decided not to try. This time, the Bible says, he went not as at other times to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. What do we see here in Numbers 24 and verse 1? And what we see is this, that Balaam is actually quitting. He's done. He's already tried this. He tried to curse the people of God, and God took over, and God made, he tried to say curses and condemnation to the children of God, and all that came out of his mouth was, how shall I curse whom the Lord hath not cursed? How shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? Then they tried it from a different angle. They tried it from a different location, and all that came out was, God is not a man that he should lie. God is not the son of man that he should repent. He tried this already, and it didn't work. And here in verse 1, the Bible tells us that Balaam comes to this conclusion. Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. Balaam saw that God was not going to do anything other than bless Israel. So what does he do? He went not. 
He's not going to try this again. He went not, as at other times, to seek for enchantments, but set his face toward the wilderness. But wait a minute. You say, well, if he quit, but the story's not done yet. The story's not over. Why, if he quit, why do we still have oracles here in chapter 24? Well, notice what the Bible says happened. Look at verse 2. And Balaam lifted up his eyes. Remember that he set his face toward the wilderness. He's moving towards the He's going into the desert. He's pretty much just like, I'm done with this. This isn't working. I'm just going towards the, the wilderness, going towards the desert. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel. As he's walking away, because remember, they're on these mountaintops. They're on these high places where they can look down upon the children of Israel. As he's walking away, he catches a glimpse of the children of Israel. Look at verse 2. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes. Notice these words. And the Spirit of God came upon him. What is happening here? What is happening is this. Balaam is trying to quit. He's trying to leave. He's trying to just say, this isn't going to work. God is not going to curse these people. I'm going to go home. But as he's walking away, he catches a glimpse of the children of Israel. And in that moment, the Bible says that the Spirit of God came upon him. Look at verse 3. And he took up his parable and said. We know the parable is the oracle. It's the prophecy and the poetry that is given to him by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And I want you to notice what's happening here is that Balaam says, I quit. This isn't working. I'm going away. And God says, no, I'm not done with you yet. The Spirit of God, look at it, says, came upon him. He's walking away. And God says, no. And I want you to notice that what I believe is happening here in this curious case of Balaam the prophet is that Balaam is actually not in control. Balaam is trying to leave, and God says no. And by the way, let's remember that God didn't start this fight. Balaam did. God didn't start this issue. Balak did. God wasn't the one trying to get them to manipulate him or get them to, to make him do things. God said, look, you started something now. Now we're going to finish it. You want to quit, you know, in the, in the third round. We're not done yet. He set his face toward the wilderness, and the Bible says the Spirit of God came upon him, and he took up his parable and said. And, of course, we have this parable, this poetry that is spoken. Now, we talked about it this morning. The Hebrew poetry is not like our type of poetry where it rhymes or it has some sort of a meter, the way that we know that it's poetic is because it's given in parallelism and it's given in couplets. And we see this again. Notice what he says there in verse 3. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, had said. This is Balaam speaking. He was trying to leave. The Spirit of God comes upon him, turns him around, and he says this, Balaam, the son of Beor, had said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, and he hath said, which heard the words of God, which saw the visions of the Almighty. Now, why don't you notice what he says here? Notice what the Bible says. Falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. Balaam is telling us here what is happening to him. He says, I'm about to speak. Get the picture. Balaam's like, I quit. I'm done. I'm on my way. He's going home. He catches a glimpse of the people of God. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He turns around and he begins to speak these words. And in his prophecy, he tells us what is happening. He says, 
Balaam, the son of Beor, had said. He's prophesying about himself. And the man whose eyes are open had said. He's talking about himself. He had said, which heard the words of God, which saw the visions of the Almighty. And then Balaam, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, tells us, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. Do you see that? Balaam is saying, look, I'm in a trance. I know you see my eyes open right now, but I'm in a trance. Now, what's interesting is that Balaam is not the only individual we see that gets into a trance in the Bible. Keep your place there in Numbers 24, if you would, and go with me to the New Testament book of Acts, Acts chapter number 10. While you turn there, let me just read to you the definition of the word trance. The word trance, and this is a secular definition, but I think you'll find it interesting, is defined as a half-conscious state characterized by an absence of response to external stimuli. Typically, it's induced by an exterior force. And of course, when we're talking about in the secular world, they say it's induced by hypnosis, or it could be induced by some sort of a medium or witchcraft. But in this case, it's induced by God. God puts Balaam in a trance, the Bible says. Now, let's look at this in the Bible. There's other individuals that were put into trances as well. Notice Acts chapter 10 and verse 9. Acts chapter 10, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Do me a favor, when you get to the book of Acts, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it and I'd like you to be able to get to it quickly. Acts chapter 10 and verse 9, notice what the Bible says. On the morrow, as they went on their journey, they drew nigh unto the city. Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So notice we have Peter on the housetop. He's there to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, notice what the Bible says, he fell into a trance. And when he's in this trance, he has a vision. Look at it. And saw heaven open. And a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at her four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Why don't you notice that we see Peter fall into a trance, and when he falls into a trance, he sees the heavens open. He has a vision, a spiritual vision. Let's look at another example. Go to Acts 22. Look at verse 17. Acts 22 and verse 17. Here we have an example of the Apostle Paul. Notice what the Bible says about Paul. Now, I realize Peter and Paul are good guys. Balaam is a bad guy. But what I want you to notice is this, that in the Bible, the Bible seems to indicate that from time to time, he would put individuals in a trance where their eyes were open, but they were seeing visions from God. And Balaam is telling us this. Notice what Paul says, Acts 22, verse 17. And it came to pass that when I, this is Paul speaking, was coming again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, notice what he says, I was in a trance. And notice the wording in the Bible is that this is something that happens to them. Paul didn't say, I put myself into a trance. He says, I was in a trance. The Bible says that Peter fell into a trance. The Bible says that Balaam falling into a trance. is something that happens to them. Look at verse 18. And saw him. This is Paul speaking. He says, I was in a trance, verse 17. And when he was in a trance, he said, I saw him, referring to Jesus, saying unto me, make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And Jesus goes on to tell him. But I want you to notice that when, according to the Bible, individuals are in trances, or God puts them in a trance, they see a vision from God. And here Paul has the Lord Jesus Christ actually speaking to him. Go back to Numbers 24. 
I'm explaining to you why I think Balaam's not in control. The first reason that I think Balaam is not in control is because the Holy Spirit comes upon him. He's ready to quit, and God says, no, I'm not done with you. And he turns him around and says, you're going to say this. The second reason I think that Balaam's not in control is because he tells us, hey, my eyes are open, but I'm falling into a trance. I'm, I'm in a trance right now, and I'm seeing these visions from God. Notice his third oracle. It continues in verse number 5, Numbers 24, verse 5. Notice what he says. How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel. Notice the repetition, the parallelism, the couplets. Verse 6. As the valleys are they spread forth, as the gardens by the river's side, as the trees of lime aloes which the Lord hath planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters. He shall pour water out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. And his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brought him forth out of Egypt. He hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall eat up the nations, his enemies, and shall break their bones, and pierce them through with his arrows. He couched, he lay down as a lion, and as a great lion, who shall stir him up? Blessed is he that blesseth thee, and cursed is he that cursed thee. These are the words that are coming out of Balaam's mouth while, according to him, he's in a trance with his eyes open. He tried to walk away, but God said no. The Holy Spirit came upon him and said, you're going to say these words. Why don't you notice the third reason why I believe that Balaam is not in control. The first reason is because God says, I'm not done with you, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. The second reason is because he tells us he's fallen into a trance with his eyes open. But the third reason, I think this is the most compelling reason, is because of what he says to Balak. Notice verse number 10. Of course, Balaam just got done giving us the third oracle, the third blessing on the children of Israel. And here's Balak's response. Numbers 24 and verse 10. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam. That's understandable. He's mad at Balaam. And he smote his hands together. And Balak said unto Balaam, I call thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast altogether blessed them these three times. Therefore now flee thou to thy place. I thought to promote thee unto great honor, but lo, the Lord hath kept thee back from honor. And look, that is the truth. The Lord truly kept him back. The Lord kept him back from honor. Look at verse 12. And Balaam said unto Balak, Spake I not also? to thy messengers which thou sendest unto me, saying, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad. Now, I want you, don't, don't miss this. This is what I want you to notice. He says, look, I already told you. I can only say what God tells me to say. I cannot go beyond the commandments of the Lord to do either good or bad. Notice these words, of mine own mind. He said, I'm not in control of this. My mind wants to curse them. My mind is trying to say, they're cursed. Balak's going to beat them up. Balak's going to win. He said, I've already told you, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Lord to do either good or bad. And then he lets us in on this little phrase of mine own mind. This is why 2 Peter talks about the madness of the prophet Balaam. The insanity of the prophet Balaam. Why? Because God has taken over this man and God is going to use him to proclaim his word. And by the way, Balaam's a bad guy. But Balaam is not in control. 
Now, my concern was when, when we preach something like this or when we say something like this, that people would get all concerned and say, well, wait a minute, are you trying to say that God you know, can take over people and that God can control people? And let me just be clear about something. We are not Calvinists. We do not believe that God forces His will and God forces His plan uh, upon individuals. We do not believe that, that God uh, does these uh, things. But here's what I want you to understand, and this is, and, and, and this is the part that we're going to run a lot of verses. All right, Go to Genesis chapter 20, if you would. First book in the Bible should be fairly defined. Let me just say this. Not only does Balaam tell us, I, I tried to quit and the Holy Spirit came upon me. God wouldn't let me quit. I'm falling into a trance, and I'm not even in control of my own mind. He said, I cannot speak to, I, I cannot do either good or bad of my own mind. I'm not in control of my mind. He's telling Balak this. He's like, I'm not, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to curse, I'm trying to get paid. But God is just taking over. And here's what I want you to understand. Not only do I believe that God took over control of Balaam, I believe that in the Bible, God sometimes takes control over people. But please understand this. When God takes control, he does it without forcing anyone to believe anything. Which is, by the way, why Balaam died and went to hell. God didn't force him to believe. And when God forces people to do certain things... He's not, so we're not Calvinists here saying, well, God makes some people believe and God keeps some other people from believing. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to believe and God doesn't interfere with that. He has given us free will. But here's what you need to understand. God forcing somebody to do something is not the same thing as God forcing them to believe. Let me give you some examples of that. Genesis chapter 20. Look at verse 3. Genesis chapter 20 and verse 3. In Genesis 20, we have another man by the name of Abimelech, who's also a heathen king, and God also appears to him like he did Balaam. Look at it, Genesis 20, verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. And of course, if you're familiar with the story, Abraham comes into the land of, of, of Abimelech. He lies about his wife. He says that she's not his wife. She's his sister. And, and as a result, Abimelech takes her to marry her. And God gets upset and he appears to Abimelech. He said, I'm going to kill you. He said, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. And Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister. And she even, she herself said, he is my brother in the integrity of my heart and in the innocency of my hands. Have I done this? Abimelech says, I didn't know it was, she was married. He didn't tell me that was his wife. He said, she was my sister. He said, I'm innocent in this. Verse six, and God said unto him in a dream, yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thine heart. Look at these words. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. The word suffer means allow. He says, therefore I did not allow you. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife. For he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Here we see an example where God says, I kept you from having a physical relationship with this woman. 
I stopped you from doing this. But did he change his mind? Because notice, Abimelech still has to make a choice. Is he going to give her back or not? God says, I kept you from sinning, but now that you know the truth, he said, you better decide, and if you keep her, I'm going to kill you. But I want you to notice that here we see that God says that he withheld Abimelech from sinning against God, therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. So we see that God can, without forcing anyone to believe anything, can, from time to time, force people to do certain things or to not do certain things. Let me give you another example. Go to John chapter 11 in the New Testament. John chapter 11. Did you keep your place in Acts? After Acts, or if you go backwards from Acts, you have the book of John. John chapter 11. I'm not going to show you this example, but let me say this. Remember the devils? When God, Jesus would cast out the devils, and the Bible says that he would suffer them not to speak his name. He would say, don't say my name. He said, don't tell people about me. So oftentimes we see that God can control individuals. But again, we're not Calvinists. Not that he's controlling them to get saved. Because notice, Balaam didn't get saved. Abimelech still had to make a choice about this situation. But God said, I did stop you. I physically stopped. Look, don't you believe that God can just force you to not do something? John chapter 11, look at verse 49. Let me give you another example. Not, not only do we see that God, without forcing anyone to believe anything, can force people to not do certain things they normally would do. We also see that God, without forcing anyone to believe anything, can force people to say things they normally would not say. Now, we've already seen this with Balaam, but let me show it to you in another example. John chapter 11, verse 49. And one of them named Caiaphas... Now, Caiaphas is the high priest. And look, we're in the book of John. This is a bad guy. He's about to put the Lord Jesus Christ to death. The Bible says, And one of them named Caiaphas, being a high priest the same year, said unto them, notice what he says. They're, they're debating about what to do with Jesus. And here's what he says. Ye know nothing at all. That's not Caiaphas speaking. That's God speaking. He looks at these Pharisees, he says, you know nothing at all. They probably looked at him like, what's your problem? He goes on, verse 50. Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. That's a pretty good statement. This man who's about to lead a group to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ, he just kind of gets up and he says, you, don't, you know nothing at all. You, you don't even consider nor consider that it is speeding for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. Look at verse 51. And this spake he not of himself. The word of means the source, meaning didn't come, this did not come from Caiaphas. But being high priest that year, notice what it says, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation. You say, well, was Caiaphas, he was the high priest, was he a good guy? Well, look at verse 52. And not for that nation, here's the prophecy continues, only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad, verse 53. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together to put him to death. So notice, God forces Caiaphas to prophesy about Jesus and to say something good. But did Caiaphas change his mind? Well, in verse 53, they're still trying to put Jesus to death. So when God takes control 
over people, and this doesn't happen a lot in the Bible, but when it happens, he doesn't change their mind and force them to believe or not force them to believe. That is not the God of the Bible. That's Calvinism. But God can, without making people believe or not believe, when he wants, make somebody say something that they normally wouldn't have said or do something they normally wouldn't have done. And here we have Balaam. Remember, the sermon's called The Curious Case of the Prophet Balaam. It's, quite, it's very curious. It's very interesting. Who we have Balaam who's trying to curse the people. Every time he stands up, he gives them a blessing. And then he says, I'm trying. I can't say this, I, whether it's good or bad. He said, I'm not in control of my mind. It's the madness of the prophet Balaam. Go back to Numbers 24, if you wouldn't. Number 24. So the first word is control. I believe that Balaam is not in control. Now, what I'm about to tell you, and look, I, I like to preach the Bible, and I like to just tell you, thus saith the Lord, and tell you what the Bible says, and, and I've already showed you a lot of Bible. But I also like to be clear when I, when I give my opinion that I just tell you this is my opinion. And I, I'm going to tell you something that I, it's just my opinion, and you can do what you want with it. You don't have to listen to it. It's just my opinion. But let me just give you my opinion if you're interested. Number 22, here's what I think happened. Because remember, we saw this a couple of weeks ago in, in Numbers 22. Look at verse 18. Remember, Balak sends a delegation to Balaam, and he says to him, I'm going to pay you to curse the people. Look at verse 18, Numbers 22, 18. And Balaam answered and said unto the servant of Balak, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. I don't believe Balaam is being sincere here. We talked about it last week, and I'm not going to get into all the details, but if you remember, we dissected the wording, and we saw how there's this subtle negotiation going on. We learned about false prophets and how they often say good things while believing the opposite. I think when Balaam says these words, he's, he doesn't mean it. He's just negotiating. He's like, well, you know, I can only say what the Lord tells me to say. So, Because uh, remember, uh, in, in verse 17, here's what Balak says to Balaam, For I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest. He says, name your price. What do you want? And then Balaam's response to that is, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold. He's just throwing that out there. He said, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. You know what I think is happening here? Is God hears this and it upsets him. And then the Bible says there, look at verse 19. Now therefore I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. Verse 20. Notice, Balaam doesn't call God. The Bible just says, and God came unto Balaam. I think God heard this, and, and God shows up to Balaam at night and said unto him, If the man come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. I don't think that's a request from God. You understand what I'm saying? God's not telling Balaam like, Okay, you can go, but only if you say, because that's how we interpret it. Only if you say what I want. No, I, I think Balaam, what God is telling Balaam is, oh, you're going to go. You, you, you're, you're a prophet of me? You're going to speak my words? Okay, well, I'm going to make you eat those words. I'm going to make you regret those words. You're going to go there and pretend to be a prophet of mine and get paid for filthy lucre's sake? 
I'm going to make a fool out of you, Balaam. You're going to go, and you're going to say only what I tell you to say. You're going to say only what I allow you to say. And then Balaam's like, I'm in a trance. My eyes are open, but I'm not in control. The lights are on, but nobody's home. My mind's not doing this. God has taken over, and God is in control. So the first word is control. The second word is enlightenment. Now we study, we're studying the book of Hebrews on Wednesday night, and we just not too long ago went through Hebrews chapter 6 and looked at that thoroughly. But I want to connect this to Hebrews chapter 6. Because remember, Hebrews chapter 6 is a very difficult passage as well. It talks about reprobates, and it talks about how they're enlightened. I think it's interesting because I think Balaam is actually a perfect example that exemplifies Hebrews chapter 6. Let's look at it together. Have your place there in Numbers 24. Go to Hebrews chapter 6 in the New Testament if you would. If you start at Revelation, go backwards. You have Jude, 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, 2nd, 1st Peter, James, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 6, Numbers 24. Have those both places be ready to go back and forth. And let's start at Numbers 24. Look at verse 14. Numbers 24, verse 14. And now, behold, I go unto my people. Balak and Balaam just got in a little fight. And now Balaam, remember, we started the chapter with Balaam trying to quit. And now he's telling Balak again, I'm leaving. I go unto my people. But he tells Balak, come therefore, and I will advertise thee what this people shall do to thy people in the latter days. And he took up his parable. Here he goes again. He can't even help himself. He took up his parable and said, notice what he says, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, he's prophesying. He's preaching. He's giving the oracle. And the man whose eyes are open has said. Now, he keeps saying this phrase over and over. The man whose eyes are open. What is he referring to? Well, go back to Numbers 22. Look at verse 31. Remember when he's on the, when he's on the way of Balaam with the donkey? Remember the donkey sees the angel of the Lord and refuses to go forward? But Balaam doesn't see it. Notice Numbers 22 and verse number 31. Numbers 22, verse 31. The Bible says this. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. This is what Balaam is referring to when he refers to himself. He's already done it earlier in the chapter. He does it again in verse 15. Go back to Numbers 24, 15. And he took up his parable and said, Numbers 24, 15, Balaam, the son of Beor, hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said. He's referring to himself. He said, I'm the man whose eyes were open. Notice what he says, verse 16. He hath said, he's referring to himself. He's speaking by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He hath said, notice what he says about himself which heard the words of God, which knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the visions of the Almighty. Because remember, he was in a trance and he saw the visions. That's what we saw Peter do. That's what we saw Paul do. Falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. Now let's compare that to Hebrews chapter 6. Remember in Hebrews chapter 6, if you look at verse number 4, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 4. Notice what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4, the Bible says this, For it is impossible. For it is impossible. Now, we, we saw this when we were studying the book of Hebrews, that next is given a series of phrases that are 
adjectives, they're prepositional phrases, and they're just giving us information about the subject. You can read the, uh, the, the, the sentence without these, and the subject would make sense. Let's just real quickly skip all of the prepositional phrases and look at what the sentence is saying. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible. Then begins all the descriptives for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, all those things. But look at verse 6. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. That's what is being said. For it is impossible for, it tells us the fours, and then it tells us if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. It's saying there are some people who you cannot renew to repentance even if they've experienced these things. What are those things? We'll look at what they are. This is very confusing to people. But when you can look at Balaam, it kind of makes sense. Look at verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were, notice these words, once enlightened. Now, what does it mean to be enlightened? Enlightened means that you get something, that the light bulb goes off, that you understand. Well, compare that to what uh, uh, Balaam says. Numbers 24, look at verse 16. He had said, which heard the words of God, notice these words, and knew the knowledge of the Most High. Balaam said, I knew the knowledge of the Most High. You know what that means? It means he was enlightened. Go back to Hebrews chapter 6. Look at verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were, notice these words, made partakers of the Holy Ghost. And people will look at this and say, well, if they are made partakers of the Holy Ghost, how can they not be renewed unto repentance? But wait a minute. Let's go back to Numbers 24. Remember where we started? Verse 2. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel abiding in his tent according to their tribes. Notice these words. And the Spirit of God came upon him. Balaam's a false prophet, according to 2 Peter chapter 2 and the book of Jude and the book of Revelation. Yet the Bible says the Spirit of God came upon him. So what the Bible is telling us here is that the Spirit of God could come upon someone that's not even saved. Like, I don't know, for example, Caiaphas? Look, I'm just trying to explain to you. you people always have these agendas when it comes to teaching the Bible. And it's like, well, I got to make... Look, I'm not trying to make the Bible fit my agenda or your agenda or your Baptist philosophy. I just look at the Bible and say, here's what the Bible says. Like it or lump it, no matter what you think about it. It's what it says. It says that he was enlightened, that he was made a partaker of the Holy Ghost. Go back to Hebrews chapter 6. Look at verse 5. Notice it. And have tasted of the good word of God. And have tasted of the good word of God. Does that apply to Balaam? Go back to Numbers 24. Look at verse 16. Notice what Balaam says about himself. He had said, which heard the words of God. He heard the words of God. He tasted the good word of God. Hebrews 6.5. Go back to Hebrews 6.5. Let me get, show you another one. Hebrews 6.5. And have tasted the, word, the good word of God. And, notice these words, the powers of the world to come. The powers of the world to come. Can you say that about Balaam? Go back to Numbers 24. Look at verse 16. He hath said, which heard the word of God, which knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the visions of the Almighty. Wouldn't you say that if you saw the visions of the Almighty, then you have seen the powers of the world to come? It's almost like the writer of Hebrews is thinking about Balaam. He's saying, look, do you realize that it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, I don't know, like Balaam, who knew the knowledge of the Most High, 
and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, I don't know, like Balaam, who the Spirit of God came upon him, and have tasted the good word of God, I don't know, like Balaam, which heard the words of God, and the powers of the world to come, I don't know, like Balaam, which saw the visions of the Almighty. It is impossible for someone like that, verse 5, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. And you say, well, what is the Bible telling us here? And again, let's just remember this. Go back to Numbers 24. What is the whole point of Balaam? Why does he get so much real estate in the Bible? Why does he get so much information? There's so much about him. And the way that the story goes in Balaam is that when you just read the story, Numbers 22, Numbers 23, Numbers 24, it's extremely confusing. And look, when the Bible is confusing, it's not, the problem is not the Bible, it's you and me. The reason that the Bible is being cryptic here is because God's trying to make a point. He shows you the life of Balaam, and if that's all we had, we could debate back and forth, and we could say, I don't know, maybe, not maybe. Is he good? Is he bad? Sometimes he seems good. Sometimes he seems bad. Sometimes he says good things. Sometimes he says really good things. And, and you look at it, and you're like, I'm not sure. But then when you compare everything else about Balaam, everything else that's said in the Bible, then it's clear this is a bad guy. Say, so what is the point that God's trying to make? Here's the point that God's trying to make. The false prophet on TV can say good things, can be pretty convincing, can say things that sound good. But look, you just look past that, and when you look at someone like Balaam, who's greedy, who's covetous, who's driving a Ferrari, who's got a personal jet, you just need to know it doesn't matter how good they sound. Even a donkey can be used of God to speak the words of God. And I'm not talking about the donkey in the previous chapter. I'm talking about the donkey in this chapter. (laughs) Look, just because some false prophet like Joel Osteen gets up and says good things every once in a while doesn't make him a man of God. Because God can even use people like Caiaphas. And look, here's the thing. Do false prophets sometimes say good things? It's always interesting because people are like, well, you preached against this person, but here's one good thing they did. (laughs) Look, this is what the Bible teaches about false prophets. They're rich. If you have a preacher who's a multi-millionaire, mark it down, he's a bad guy. Here's what the Bible says about false prophets. They're accepted by the political class. If you have a preacher who the presidents are inviting them into the Oval Office, they're bad. And if you say, but they do good things, they say good things, so does Balaam. He, He would have the Spirit of God upon him, and he spoke the Word of God, and he died and went to hell. That's the point. So you know what the Bible says? Try the spirits. Try the spirits, whether they be of God. Why? Because many false prophets are gone into the world. Go back to Numbers 24. Look at verse 17. Numbers 24, verse 17. We're continuing with Balaam's prophets. Remember, everything Balaam said is good. Not because he wants to, just because God's taken over. Notice what he says. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. That's really interesting. He says, I'm in a trance and I'm seeing visions of God. He says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. And then he says this, look at it. One of the greatest messianic prophecies in the Bible given by a reprobate false prophet. Notice what he says. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A, star, a scepter is a reference to a king, 
So a kingdom, a star out of Jacob. Could it be that when the wise men showed up in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2 at the birth of Christ, when they showed up saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Could it be that they understood that because of Balaam's prophecy? There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. Look at verse 18. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession of his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. And when he looked on Amalek. Now I want you to understand what's going on here. The story's about to be done, and God's just kind of like, ah, I'm just messing with you. Balaam is now giving these four oracles, four attempts to curse the people of God, and every time he opens his mouth, and the, what he doesn't want comes out. He wants to curse, and God says, bless. He wants to change God's mind, and God says, you can't change my mind. He tries to manipulate God, and God says, you will not manipulate me. You will not, I'm not, I haven't miscalculated, I haven't made a mistake here. I'm in charge. You know, you and I would do well in our lives if we just got to the place where we realize God is in charge. Notice these words. Verse 19. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion and shall destroy him that remaineth out of the city. Verse 20. And when he looked on Amalek, he took up his parable and said, now, now, now he's not even blessing Israel. Now he's just going to start cursing other nations. Look what he says. Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be, uh, be that he perisheth forever. Perish forever. Look at verse 21. He looked on the Kenites. Because remember, he's on a high mountain. He's been looking at Israel, blessing Israel. Now he's just like looking at the Amalekites. and like, I'm going to curse them. Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be he that perisheth. Verse 21. And he looked on the Kenites and took up his parable and said, Strong is thy dwelling place. And thou puttest thy nest in a rock. Nevertheless, the Kenite shall be wasted until Asher shall carry thee away. He's just cursing other nations. Balak paid him to curse the people of God. He blesses the people of God and curses the enemies of God. Look at verse 23. And he took up his parable and said, Alas, who shall live when God doeth this? And the ships shall come from the coast of Shittim. And shall afflict Asher, and shall afflict Eber, and he also shall perish forever. Balaam rose up, and went and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. I want you to notice what happens here, and what we see in the story is this. Balaam's confusing communication. I hope it makes sense to you now. People look at the story, and they're like, what's going on with Balaam? What's going on with Balaam is that Balaam is not in control. Is that God has taken over Balaam's mind, and he's made him crazy. And let me tell you something. Reprobates are crazy. They're insane, and sometimes God even uses them to do as well. And look, this shouldn't be so hard for us to understand. Why? Remember Pharaoh, when Moses kept coming to Pharaoh, and, and he kept doing the, the, the plagues upon Pharaoh? Pharaoh kept changing his mind. Pharaoh kept saying, like, okay, Moses, you can go. And then the Bible says that God would harden Pharaoh's heart. Why? Because God wasn't done with Pharaoh. Pharaoh was done with God, but God wasn't done with Pharaoh. Listen to me. You and I need to be careful about making sure we stay on the right side of God. Because you can say, well, I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what God says. And pick a fight with God. But when you pick a fight with God, you better be careful. Because you might say, I tap. And God's like, no, this isn't over. You did this, and we're going to carry this through. We see Balaam's confusing communication. 
But let me end with this, just because I, I want to cover this, just because I kind of want to be done with Balaam and move on to other things. Not only do we see Balaam's confusing communication, we see Balaam's alarming associations. Look at it real quickly. Let's just finish this real quickly. If, if it's okay with you, let's just look at it, because yeah. I just want to move on from Balaam next week and be on to other things. Balaam leaves defeated. Balak leaves defeated. Balaam could not get God to curse the people. Notice how the chapter ends, verse 25. And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. But there's an interesting lesson here, and it's this. When Balaam could not get God to curse the people, Balaam could get the people to curse themselves. Notice Numbers 25. We're going to look at Numbers 25 next week, and we'll go through the whole chapter, but let's just look at it real quickly just so you can look what happens next. Numbers 25, verse 1. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Remember, Balak is the king of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined themselves unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. In Numbers 22, Numbers 23, Numbers 24, Balaam and Balak have been trying to manipulate God to bring a curse upon the children of Israel. God has his way with them. God has fun with them and just makes fools out of them. But yet in chapter 25, God is cursing the people. And notice his judgment is upon them. Look at verse 9. And those that died in the plague were 20 and 4,000. So what happens? What caused this? Does this have something to do with the curious case of the prophet Balaam? Go to Numbers 31, just real quickly. Look, look at what the Bible tells us about these things. Look, you got to put down the, the television and just read the Bible. It's interesting. Numbers 31, verse 15. In Numbers 31, we're fast-forwarding in the story. Numbers 31 and verse 15, the Bible says this, And Moses said unto them, Have ye saved all the women alive? The children of Israel have now, at the direction of God, gone in and had war against the Moabites and the Midianites. They're doing these things, and they saved the women alive. And Moses is upset about this, and he explains why in verse 16. Behold, these, looking at those women, caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. You know what's interesting? Go, go to Revelation chapter 2. We'll finish this up. Revelation 2. Balaam couldn't get, Balaam could not curse the people of God. He was defeated in trying to get God to curse the people, but he succeeded in getting the people to curse themselves. He said, Balak, I still want to get paid. So let me tell you what we'll do. We'll get all these women to go fornicate with the nation of Israel. And they'll invite them to their sacrifices. They'll invite them to worship Baal in their high places. And when they do that, then God will curse them because they sin against God. This is what is referred to in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14. Look at what it says, Revelation 2, 14. 
Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. This is Jesus speaking to the seven churches in Asia. He brings up Balaam and Balak as an example. He says, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Notice, notice what the doctrine of Balaam is. Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel? To eat things, sacrifice, and to idols, and to commit fornication. And again, God is teaching us about a false prophet. What, 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 what are the characteristics we've learned from Balaam regarding false prophets? Here are the characteristics. They're covetous. No preacher should be a multimillionaire, period. Now, look, I believe preachers should get paid well. I, the Bible says that they're worthy of double honor. I think if they work hard, they, should be, they shouldn't be in poverty. I think they should get paid well. But if, if you're a multimillionaire, you are a false prophet, period, end of story. That's what the Bible says. It says that they have made the people, they, they make merchandise of the people of God. If you are accepted by the presidents and the kings of this world, you're a false prophet. That's what the Bible says. It says they hated Jesus and they'll hate you. But you know what another characteristic of a false prophet is this? I'll just read this for you because I'm out of time. Actually, you're there in Revelation. Just flip over to Jude. It's just right there. You can, you can get there. Jude, there's only one chapter. Look at verse 4. Here's another characteristic of a false prophet. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They're reprobates. Ungodly men, look at it, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. So what does that mean? Lascivious means lewd or lustful. You know what false prophets do? They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. The grace of God teaches us that God saves all of us based not off our merit, not off our works, not off us earning it, but He gives us the free gift of salvation. Praise God for that. You know what a false prophet does? He says, well, because salvation is free, because of God's grace, you can go ahead and live however you want. That's not true. They'll say, because of God's grace, you can go ahead and fornicate. You can go ahead and get drunk. You can go ahead and, and live in sin. And God's going to be okay with that. Listen to me. That's how you get the judgment of God upon your life. I didn't say lose your salvation. You don't lose your salvation. But that's how you get God to chastise you. That's what Balaam did to the children of Israel. He said, I can't get God to curse them. Let me see if I can get them to fornicate. Let me see if I can get them to worship idols. And then as a result... Of that, the judgment of God. What is the doctrine of Balaam? The doctrine of Balaam is this. He taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. What's a stumbling block? Something, someone puts something in front of you. You're running the, the race that is set before us, and they put a stumbling block in front of you to try to trip you up. That's what a false prophet does. They sound good. They sound great. They sound godly. But they don't help you draw closer to God. They don't help you get the sin out of your life. They don't help you get victory in your life. They don't help you get, uh, be purged and be cleansed and filled with the Spirit. They just want your money, so they tell you, yeah, live however you want. Just make sure you put money in the offering plate. That's what a false prophet does. And here's, here's the lesson for us, and here's the application. I'll finish up. It's this. We don't have to worry about the world out there and Balaam's out there trying to curse us and trying to trip us up because the truth is this, the only person that can trip you up is you. 
When, when the devil can't get God to curse you, he can get you to curse yourself. He can get me to curse myself. God has been protecting his people for chapter after chapter, but then they messed up. You and I need to realize that the only way that you and I, look, with, with Christ we can do anything. If God be for us, who can be against us? But we can allow the devil to stumble us, to put a temptation before us. We can allow the devil, and we can succumb to that, and we see the judgment of God. So, unfortunately, at the end of the day, Balaam wins. Balaam wins. Not because he could get God to curse the people. He couldn't get God to curse the people, and God just made a fool out of him. But in the end, he got the people to curse themselves. And that's where you and I need to be careful. God is always on our side, and God will always protect us. But when we step out of the limits and the boundaries that God has given for our protection, then all bets are off. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for these chapters. I know that there's a lot of wording and things to dissect and cross-references, and it can be confusing. It's the curious case of Balaam the prophet. But Lord, no matter how we interpret it, let us to at least agree and take heed on the application. And the application is this. When the enemy can't get God to curse us, he can get us to curse ourselves. Help us to be aware of that. Help us to not be ignorant of Satan's devices. Help us to live within the boundaries that God has given us for our own safety. And help us to not be deceived by these ministers of light who are actually false prophets. Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn these lessons, apply them to our lives, help us to take heed to these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to have Brother RJ come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, first of all, man.